0: Hello. Hello. Hello,
1: welcome to Fertility Insights, the Cooper Surgical Podcast.
0: Welcome to Fertility Insights, the Cooper Surgical Fertility Solutions Podcast. We're delighted you have joined us to learn more about various aspects of fertility from highly respected and experienced experts within the field. My name is Steve Levitt and I'm the Director of Clinical Application at Cooper Surgical Fertility Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by Arianna D'Angelo and Daniela Nogueira. Perhaps um, Daniela could ask you um, in terms of uh, the information that you would feed back to the, the clinical team based on what you see uh, after the egg collection to, to help in, in determining whether the, the stimulation has been uh, optimal.
2: Yes, um, um, the clinicians, they appreciate very much when we immediately... Tell them uh, the number of oocytes that we find each time that we read uh, um, uh, the the amount of the uh, uh, follicle fluid that it's in the tube, and we immediately give a return on the number of uh, oocytes that we find. It's very helpful for them, um, in my view, uh, to to be able to find out if their collection is going well and if they have to go forward, perhaps to reach a little bit more of the smaller follicles if uh, the number of oocytes are not really uh, optimal in their view comparing to the number of the follicles. We also looked out afterwards uh, when we finished the pickup. We do uh, noted down the number of oocytes we find it to make a comparison of uh, in relation to the number of follicles that are present because this helps in the clinical file of the patient uh, for ev- an eventual next uh, uh, egg retrieval. So I do think it's important to have this commun- immediate communication between the laboratory and the clinicians.
0: Excellent. Do you, do you make note of, um, of anything else, for example, the presence of granulosa cells or um, uh, empty uh, cumulus cell uh, masses, etc., um, during, the, during the collection?
2: Yes, we do so because it's another I think important uh important remark that can help uh, uh the clinicians for a uh, next treatment or uh the outcome of the patient. So yes, of course we do. Uh we also take note it's very important also uh to observe uh if there are fragmented oocytes. Uh nowadays uh I have observed in my long time of career that This has uh, significantly decreased actually because we nowadays know better how to, uh, the correct pressure to use at uh, the retrieval, how to calibrate our uh, retrieval pump, how to verify that the pump is uh, corrected, calibrated as well. And I must say that... uh, it is true that, uh, there are very few, uh, cases now where we have this fragmented O So, uh, that being said, it means that if there is a case where we do find, uh, uh, uh a lot of those O sites or uh, a number that is, uh, uh, present uh all sites like these that are present um and if we know that our equipments are uh, are well calibrated then it's a really good indication for the clinicians uh, to to observe what's going on with the patients at the, at the clinical site
0: yeah that, that's really helpful and I wonder if you could um, elaborate a little bit on 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 the checks for the the pressure on the pump because it's a question that is is often asked how we calibrate. The pump, and what pressure should we use for um, for the egg retrievals?
2: Well, I, I can, I can, because <laughs> I had uh, I had get uh, some, uh, you know, we learn with uh, with uh, the wrong in the lab, and I've learned uh, quite a lot about that. Uh, first of all, I I take the opportunity to to also uh, clarify that uh, some laboratories still uh, do retrieval uh, with the syringe. Um, so mainly, when I arrived in France, I observed that uh, may, my lab was doing so for the poor responder patients. Uh, so I want to make a break there because um, immediately I observed that doing the retrieval of uh, the syringe, uh, the pressure is uncontrollable, and so uh, the result is that the all sites that we find, uh, half of them uh, would be fragmented. So we did make a comparison by using a, um, a normal aspiration with a with a needle uh, compared to the syringe aspiration. And we immediately found out that we could recuperate. Recovery was even a little bit better with all sites that are more intact. And I still uh, observe that some laboratories uh, I can tell about France still do uh, syringe retrieval for mainly poor responder patients. So I strongly advise to stop this technique, and try in-house make a comparison, and they are going to soon observe that uh, making a retrieval of a syringe do not, um, although you, you make the 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 rings um, the flushing uh, it permits you to make an easily flushing you might uh, kind of lose all sides and uh, once you retrieve them uh, half of them are gonna be fragmented actually there was a paper published by a French group who compared uh, poor responders um, uh, patients doing aspiration with flushing in, with needles with flushing and without flushing uh, not of syringes, and they observed actually that the flushing um, was kind of detrimental because we end up losing all sites rather than than recuperating more all sites in poor responder patients. Now. Concerning the calibration of uh, your pump, uh, yes, there are ways uh, to do it. I've learned with uh, a consultant, an embryologist called Bloomberg, uh, who taught me a lot about it. And um, uh, in fact, we... Did not know. Uh, we are always saying, okay, we have to use 100 uh, milligrams uh, MMHG. We have to use 80. We have to use 120. But he taught me that, in fact, it depends on the uh, in the gauge of the needle that you use. So um, there is a very uh, simple protocol uh, where you have actually to try to uh, take 10 ml of uh, medium uh, or, or water. And this 10 ml has to, uh, has to be, uh, placed in an empty tube in about, uh, uh if I'm not mistaken, uh, a period of, uh, not passing, uh, 20 seconds. And, uh, there is a calculation that can be done where you, uh, you see if your pressure is too high or too low. And in fact, you regulate your pump. Uh, in function of the number of seconds that you transpass this medium to another tube. So um, uh, there are ways to do that. And I think I suggest that each one of you contact your uh, provider of your pump to teach you to do this. So what we do here, we um we we verify the pump once a month and we do send our our uh, aspiration pump once a year for maintenance. Because we did had some experiences with all sites at um and we found out uh, years ago that in fact it came out uh, if because the pump was not well calibrated and the pressure was too high. So it's very important to, to maintain and to be sure that your equipment is well calibrated in function of the gauge, uh, the diameter that you use in the aspiration process.
0: Uh, that's really great advice. It's, it's more about the flow rate um, when you're aspirating the follicles than the pressure pressure. Per se. So, I think that's great advice that each lab needs to work it out for themselves and working out a flow rate that's acceptable um, and to main, monitor it and make sure that the, the egg quality is, is maintained and, and there's no damage. And that leads us on very nicely, uh, Arianna, to a discussion about uh, the, the egg collection needles themselves and which gauge of needle to use. Um, and then we may move on to discuss um, flushing of follicles. So, in your experience, what is the, is the best gauge of needle to use? What do you get the best result? Now, I guess it's a, a balance between um, uh, a smaller gauge for less pain for the patients and, and not going too small to cause damage to the, the cumulus suicide complex.
1: Yeah, that's a very, very interesting question, and uh, indeed very useful um, for all of us to to hear about. Um, yeah, the, the, there are different needles. There are mainly two kind of needles: the single lumen needle and the double lumen. The difference is in the gauge, so in the diameters. So usually, the single lumen needles are um, with small, smaller, smaller diameter, and the double lumen have uh, um, a larger diameter. Now um, the double lumen needle will allow you to, uh, with, on one channel to uh, aspirate and on one channel to flush and the two channel cells are separated. With a single lumen needle um, there is usually only one channel and the channel is usually for aspiration. Now you could flush as well with a single lumen needle but because you're going to use the same channel then that uh, could um, you know inadvertently uh, push the ovocytes which is in the channel back to the follicle back and forth. so obviously we we wouldn't recommend that because that could cause damage to the ovocytes and um, if um, I, I, the, the recommendation from the Good clinical practice paper that uh, we published with Ashra was that really uh, you should use the needle you are more familiar, more comfortable with. But um, if you are a trainee and someone you know a novice to the procedure, and um, and this is what I do with my trainees, trainees, I would teach them to be confident uh, and be brave, not to flash. And just uh, believe your stimulation, believe your passions, and believe that there are, if there are eggs, you're going to find them. And um, and it's all about the technique. There is no doubt. A good technique, a good training program, teaching you know the trainee or teaching all, all of us to aspirate the follicle completely, because this is what happens sometimes if the technique is not. Uh, perfect and you move the probe for example the ultrasound probe you lose the vision of the follicle while you're doing the procedure then you, you you might aspirate the follicle up or quarter or leave the last couple of drops which are so important because it's in the last couple of drops where you find the egg usually so i i, I think the needles are important but i think the technique is extremely important so, um, going to your question about uh, gauge and, uh, and pain, again, um, my experience is that uh, the single lumen needle, so the smaller gauge, works really well. First of all, hardly any pain for the patient, but also hardly any bleeding, and that is what you want to avoid. Um, bleeding during a collection and after a collection is one of the most common complications, unfortunately. But it can be reduced um, by using a a smaller diameter needle. For example, um, in my practice, I use an 18-gauge needle for um, oncology patients, patients, for example, who have thrombocytopenia or leukemia or, uh, you know, some hematological cancer, because I want to reduce the the amount of bleeding, uh, intra-ovarian bleeding and obviously vaginal bleeding. Um, And also I use that small needle for... For endometriosis patients, again, for the same reason, I just want to avoid puncturing and and causing internal bleeding. Um, For the standard patient, we use... um, the 17 gauge needle for all of them, single lumen Um, and we are now starting to be quite brave to use also the single lumen for poor responders and I fully agree with Daniela's um, uh, comment and and the papers that have been published that actually um, you know with the poor responders you want to find mature eggs and if there are mature eggs then they will be aspirated by using the single lumen with a flash, sometimes either you flash the, 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 the egg back, or uh, you might just uh, flash so much that you actually retrieve eggs, but they are immature so they're not very useful for fertilization um, and that will give a, a kind of a false hope as well to the patient she thinks that she's been successful in retrieving maybe one egg and then the disappointment comes the day after when the embryologist has to disclose the, 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 the news that the egg was immature and uh, i guess it works well for the doctors because we don't have to disclose that bad news but it's not really good for the patients and for our colleagues in the lab <laughs> Um so the controversy is about flashing versus no flashing there's been lots of paper uh, really papers published and um, and uh, and also the, the 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 guidelines from the from NICE in the United Kingdom I would recommend not to flash um, in the European recommendation on, on, on the good clinical practice um, released by Eshre, uh, we, uh, we, we don't make any recommendation really. Again, we say it, um, it, it is up to your practice and up to you what you feel comfortable and confident. But uh, uh, there is plenty of evidence to say that really flushing is actually counterproductive because uh of what i said already you know it it um, it it might increase the number of immature eggs but also um it does um prolong the procedure so prolong the exposure to anesthetic or sedation if your patient is under sedation um and also uh, the the introduction of fluid, which could be culture media or you know whatever you use for flushing, is not very good. In particular, if the patient is at risk of, I- of iron hyperstimulation, it might just increase all this uh, fluid intake and and also a uh, risk of infection. So th- there are lots of uh, potential um, side effects about flushing. Another thing which probably uh, is, is is against the manufacturer as well is obviously that by not flashing, um, in particular if you're using cultural media to flash, then you save quite a lot of money uh, within your um, department and your organisation. We have recently done uh, an audit and we saved uh, um, over £10,000 just by switching from... Double lumen to single lumen uh, because we we don't basically need any additional culture media to flush. Um, so I would I would definitely recommend uh, using the 17 gauge single lumen or the 18 gauge. One thing, sort of final remark I would like to make on the needles, which I think is really important for the clinicians, is. Whatever whichever needle you use, um, is extremely important that you are familiar with the characteristics of your needle, uh, because there are uh, needles are different, uh, and it is a little bit like having a knife for the surgeon. So you know there are some needles which are really sharp, and needles which are less sharp, and that will make a difference when you enter through the vagina inside the ovary. Um, So always. If you, if you, for example, you have different needles in your in your unit, always make sure that you are familiar with the, the needle you're going to use for that procedure and, and check and um, check that your assistant has prepared the table and, and you, you, you are aware of which needle um, is there. Um, I I have had a bad experience myself uh, for not doing so, um, and uh, I didn't realize that my assistant had changed the needle at the last minute because we ran out, and uh, and obviously I, I thought to have in my hand my usual needle, and I just with my usual needle I usually put more pressure to get into the vagina, whereas the needle that I was using, without knowing, was very sharp, and um, I. Put the same amount of pressure, and the needle went through the ovaries, uh, almost outside the ovary. It was really scary. So, very, very important to be familiar with with uh, with uh, with the needle and with the equipment generally that
0: you that you use. Yeah, great, great advice. And I and um, going back to the point that uh, Daniela made about the pumps as well. You need to understand the different characteristics of the needle in terms of pressure. Etc., if you, if you switch between them and, and, and know exactly the, the correct settings there. Thank you to everyone who is tuned in to this episode of Fertility Insights. Please like, share, and comment, and make sure to tune in to our next episode. Please note that the speaker received a fee from Cooper Surgical for participating in this podcast.